You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hey, Michael. Welcome back to that same old place where you laughed about. Man, yeah, Andre. You know, that's a great song that you were singing. I would have thought we would have gone with something like a little Matthew Goodband, Strange Days. I mean, oh, we're yeah, definitely strange in Strange Days, days right now. Well, you had uh, just before we got on the mic, you uh, you had welcomed me back from uh, from Italy, and I was like, uh, "Hey, hold on a moment, <laughs> I've been back a while. We we just had some stuff to get out before we we welcomed me back." Well, and I, and I mean, you know what? I guess that's one thing. First off, we should say this is definitely not a podcast about COVID nineteen, but we know no. that it's front of mind for everyone. We've all been getting lots of emails from businesses, from wineries, from everyone, just talking about the measures. Um, so hopefully this will be a nice distraction because I know everyone's a little anxious and just in general, not feeling particularly great about things. It's, it's tough when things are uncertain. So, um, and that, that's maybe making everybody's tummy a little bit rumbly. You know what I mean? And then that's why there's so much toilet paper gone because everybody's got like the runs right now. You know, I'm surprised that, um, that toilet paper was the number one thing people were running to because, um. I don't know about you, but I've been spending a lot of time in the L- LCBO. <laughs> uh, well, oh man, that, that too. You know, you know the funniest thing. I have a friend who works for Walmart, and uh, she said that not only is the toilet paper aisle uh, completely uh, empty, but so is the beans aisle. So yep. I think there's a corollary here. Oh yeah, that's, that's <laughs> well done, Michael. That's actually really good. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's been an inter- interesting week uh, about that. That's, but we're we're here. Yeah. This is. Um, we are going to be talking about Bordeaux again. Yes, but this time with somebody who is actually from Bordeaux, not from Norway. That's right. We both had a chance to meet Frank Bichon, who is the uh, winemaker of the Vignoble La Rose. So that's uh, Chateau Arnaud, Chateau La Rose Pergançon, and Chateau La Rose uh, Trento I'm sure. As I... well as Chateau Tour de Pez. Which. I think is the one winery that we didn't get to taste the wines. Correct. And you actually, while he was in town, um, you had a chance to sit down with him and talk to him. Whereas I uh, also met with him, but I missed the interview because you just did it on a Sunday or something. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just, yeah, it was just the comings and goings with your travel and me not being able to go. It was a lunch on Monday. Anyways, we both got a chance to sit down and uh, talk about the wines, but before we talk about the wines, um, Let's li- let's just spend the next 40 minutes listening to me talk to Frank. Sure, what the heck. Michael is still gallivanting around Italy, and uh, I usually have a co-host with me, but I've taken the show on the road. I'm at Grand Cru Deli on Richmond Street in Toronto, and I'm joined by... Frank Bijon, uh, Chief Winemaker and General Manager of uh, Vignoble de la Rose, uh, uh, with uh, four vineyards uh, located in uh, on the left bank of the river, uh, close to Bordeaux. Right on. And I'm really excited to do this because uh, one of my first real wine trips uh, outside of Niagara was to Bordeaux in 2014, although I went to the right bank. And I know we don't talk about that a lot on the podcast because as my wine knowledge has evolved, I've gravitated towards Chardonnay, but we still do drink a lot of Bordeaux in the house. I certainly order Bordeaux classics every year when I can. But uh, the past couple of years, uh, I've ordered the Chateau La Rose is it? Trento Don? 
That's it. I can never remember how to say the second word, but I know it's the red label with the, the gold red label, label. Bordeaux. Yeah. But it's 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 such a fantastic thing to put because I know I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, as far as wine writers are concerned, I talk about labels more than any other journalist in the in the city of Toronto, certainly in Ontario, probably Canada. And it is one of my favorite labels to see because it looks like you spent a lot more money than you actually did on the wine. Sure, but you, La Rose Trentonon today is really well known for its exceptional ratio uh, quality price. And the wine is so popular everywhere in our domestic market because today we have the, the main, probably the main chateau from Bordeaux as, as Cru Bourgeois sold through the supermarkets. And uh, it was the same in the United States uh, many, many years ago uh, with the distribution of Chateau and Estate uh, at the beginning of the 70s. Maybe I'll just go to my first question. If we're pretending that you don't know a lot about Bordeaux, but you know a little bit of, about Bordeaux, when you get into your wine knowledge, you learn pretty quickly about Grand Cru and Grand Cru Classé. Uh, what does Cru Bourgeois mean? Well, uh, everybody uh, knows the famous classification uh, uh, in 1855, yep. with, uh, I think it's 80 or 84 uh, classified gross. And we have also the famous category uh, Cru Bourgeois. The first classification of Cru Bourgeois uh, uh, was made in uh, 1932 with uh, more than 440 estates. Okay. okay? But with the same, with the uh, same recognition, only Cru Bourgeois. Okay. And uh, later, uh, we had uh, a first official classification with three levels. Cru Bourgeois, Regular Cru Bourgeois, uh, Superior Cru Bourgeois, and Exceptional Cru Bourgeois. It was uh, in all three. Okay. In all three, uh, unfortunately, this classification was cancelled uh, uh, four years later. Due to the contest of uh, uh, some wine growers which, who don't... Uh, didn't be agree with the result of the classification. Well, uh, who who does the classification? Because I know the same thing Today. has happened in the on the right bank, where the intention was to update the classifications every few years, but there's always disputes when they've tried to update it. Today, uh, we set a new official classification. Uh, we we had the result uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, classification uh, uh, official from uh, 18 vintage to 22 for five years. Classification made by uh, uh, only uh, pro- professional uh, uh, tester for wines, uh, professional and experts in different thematics uh, analyze, analyzed uh, for each state, like uh, uh, environment uh, practices like uh, marketing and distribution or energical practices. And uh, this uh, classification for five years is just long enough to avoid any contest about the different wine growers who are not agree with the results. That's fantastic that uh, the, that you found a way around dealing with the, the legal disputes that's long enough that even if someone were to complain the next one comes out, it's going to do that. Yeah, and at least uh, with five years, we, have, we give more visibility for the market because uh, before it was quite complicated for a distributor to invest in a brand uh, without any certitude that every year the wine 
uh, was cru bourgeois because uh, before we had the obligation to have a blind tasting every year to be recognized cru bourgeois. Today, it's not necessary with the classification and with the ambition to progress for everybody, we, we guarantee the quality of the wine inside the bottle. And, but with more visibility, it's great for the, for the distribution. It's great also for the consumer because with this classification, uh, every estate can have a real strategy for the future and invest and invest in the quality. And uh, probably the result will be great for the final consumer with uh, uh, a quality which grow up uh, year after year. Okay, now I know you're talking about quality and, and guarantee of, of quality. Uh, and on the, the right bank in Saint-Emilion, when I visited, I learned that Grand Cru, at the very least Grand Cru, to be able to put that on the bottle, you have rules you need to follow for uh, viticultural practices. Do those similar rules apply for Cru Bourgeois? Yeah, for Cru Bourgeois, first, we need to be uh, at the level two of the official uh, environmental certification from the Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, we we need also uh, to be extremely uh, efficient in terms of traceability and in terms of uh, marketing and distribution with a real, uh, real uh, work to do to promote your image and uh, your notoriety. It's also to be able to receive people, public, professional, or uh, visitors uh, to promote the brand name Cru Bourgeois and your own brand name uh, through uh, uh, capacity of tasting uh, uh, on the estate and uh, capacity, uh, capacity to, to visit, to visit the vineyard, to visit the cellars and, uh, and the aging room. Is there is there anything about needing to be able to sell to the public at the at the estate? Right, uh, I think that today probably one hundred percent of the cru bourgeois are selling wine to the public uh, at the estate. I think honestly that uh, it was not the case for the classified growth many many years ago. Uh, effectively, many people consider that Bordeaux was completely closed. Uh, the doors of the Cru Classé was closed. Uh, today, it changed a little bit, and, uh, and the Cru Bourgeois uh, uh, was probably, the family was probably the first family to open the door uh, for the different visitors and to, to share their passion and their great terroir they have. I, you know, I, I love hearing about that because it's, um, I think it's probably the biggest shock if you're used to visiting wineries in North America like the whole concept of a tasting room is really kind of embedded in the culture here. If you go to Niagara or you go to California, you can walk in and it's these beautiful boutiques with, you know, T-shirts and all stuff to buy. When you go to France, like that first trip I took to France, it was everyone told me ahead of time, you've got to make an appointment, you've got to show up. And it's still, you know, especially if you don't speak French as a first language can be a little bit overwhelming. But it's good to hear that there's uh, a movement to help open up the doors and get people to the wineries, especially for Cru Bourgeois, because one of my favorite things about... I, I had no idea about the quality of the tasting because I've always thought Cru Bourgeois were just an affordable way to get really good, really good wines. Um, so we've got a couple of bottles open here. Uh, do you want to taste? talk yeah, about one sure. of the wines here and we'll taste sure. through it? Sure. The first one we, want, we would like to, to show 
is uh, Chateau La Rose-Pergançon, 2010. La Rose-Pergançon is a small estate of 26 hectares, okay. uh, close to the Appellation Saint-Julien. Uh, the vineyard is planted 50% on uh, gravel on clay and 50% on limestone on clay. Okay. And uh, with uh, 55% Cabernet Sauvignon and 45% Merlot. No Petit Verdot at all. Okay. We just uh, uh, replant some Petit Verdot for La Rose Pergançon a few years ago. And the first blend with Petit Verdot is uh, uh, 13 uh, vintage. Okay, so so the last five percent is Petit Verdot that's coming online. Sure, sure. Okay, no Cabernet Franc. No Cabernet Franc because uh, we consider that when I arrived at La Rose Cantodon and La Rose Pergançon in '89, I decided to rack to take up all the Cabernet Franc because the, the grape varieties were planted on the, the only pure clay, and it's not the right situation for this grape variety. You need you need to have a, a more limestone. Uh, to, to have something more aromatic and uh, to have uh, grape variety less fragile uh, against uh, rots, uh, especially rots, uh, at the end of the ripeness. The okay. reason why uh, no Cabernet Franc uh, for La Rose Pergançon and I just beginning to replant Cabernet Franc for La Rose Trentonon, the Red Label Bordeaux, okay. uh, next year. Okay, so let's... Uh Let's, let's get the first wine in the glass. I'm really excited to taste yeah. this because it's, it's a 2010. Uh, it's a 2010. It's quite uh, unusual to, 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 to present a so mature age wine. Uh, I, I need oh. to be honest. I need to be honest. Uh, Canada and Ontario are the only market with the Texas market to have La Rose Pergançon 2010. We are completely out of stock. Uh, at the estate and uh, well it's quite interesting to, to present this wine because the 10 first is uh, probably the best vintage I never made yeah it's the, so the the aromas of this wine are almost aggressive in the way they climb out of the glass and we're not using big Bordeaux glasses I'm regretting not bringing some wine glasses these are some some very fine wine glasses. Grand Crudeli do not have poor wine glasses, but I would like this in a bigger wine glass. But the floral aromas, it's like pure violets and cassis and like the dark plum, like the best part of the plum when you bite that skin. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I love also the, uh, after, after some, year, some years in Bordeaux, uh, some licorice notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, lo- I love the licorice uh, coming from the, the, the Cabernet Sauvignon really well ripe. And uh, the 10 is, as I said, the best vintage I never made because everything was at the right place and at the right moment during the growing of the vines until the end of the picking. And uh, my dad and my granddad uh, uh, talked me a lot about the famous and mythic 1961, uh, the, the generation of winemakers uh, of my generation, consider that the 2010 is probably our mythic vintage. Uh, definitely, we consider that it's the uh, most fantastic grapes we, we never had, um, with more minerality than the 09, more, uh, more straight than the 09, with uh, more acidity, because we consider that a great Bordeaux needs to have freshness. 
I, I think I think that's. I, I want to let you talk more about the wine, but I, I think when you say the word ripe and you say ripe cassis, especially for those of us in Ontario, it's hard to not think about a newer world style like California or British Columbia. Um, and when you're talking about ripeness, it, it, it's clear. I mean, the history, and you've been doing this a while, that you knew exactly the right time to pick these grapes because the acid is is perfectly structured with the fruit flavors in this wine. Well, lucky because uh, in our area, uh, we talked about two, two sorts of ripeness. We talked about the technological ripeness, is the ripeness regarding the, the sugar content and the level of acidity. And we talked uh, also about the phenolic ripeness, the, 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 the ripeness of the skin, of the tannins inside the skin. And we are lucky because in our area, the two uh, ripeness are more or less in the same time or uh, sometimes the difference no more than one week. For the new world, like Chile, and uh, I worked uh, in Chile uh, many years uh, to do vinification too, uh, sometimes the, the difference between the technologic ripeness and the phenolic ripeness, ripeness is uh, longer. Could be three weeks, one month. The reason why sometimes you don't have the right balance with the technologic ripeness. You don't have the right ba- balance between the acid and the sugar. In Bordeaux, we have the capacity to propose that. The reason why uh, we are extremely um, convinced that the future for the board, for the the wine consumption will be in the balance in the uh, affordability of the wine for the consumers. I, I think I think affordability is is definitely key. Um, my wife and I have been trying to learn more about French wine, and we we order from the classics catalog every year for Bordeaux, and we've been ordering from the classics catalog for Burgundy, and it's a problem at the LCBO as well. And this isn't me giving the LCBO a hard time right now, but to get the good wines, it's very expensive, which is why the, the, the Cru Bourgeois... Can you give some advice to people um, who are trying to learn more about Bordeaux, what to look for when you're at the LCBO to make sure you're getting the good stuff before you convince me to spend $60, $70 for Grand Cru Class Right, a. sure, sure. But you know, La Rose Perganson, I think he sold about uh, uh, 35... Uh, yes. Uh, Canadian dollar uh, on on the share, and for and for for 2010, of this level of quality, we know that. Uh, so this this paragraph this one, is going to be 30. Yeah, 35, 36. I do, think exactly That's 35 fantastic. dollar, and for the for for this uh, this level of quality, we consider today honestly that uh, cru bourgeois and cru bourgeois of this level are a real alternative to the to the classified gross. Today, the classified gross are really expensive. And it's quite difficult to for for uh, normal people to to to, to buy it. Uh, even for me, uh, I have a, a good job, but uh, today uh, classified gloss are too expensive to yep. to have the pleasure to drink a bottle every weekend. Or the reason why today, and especially with uh, the clarification with the, the the new classification, is great to to be able to buy a cru bourgeois supérieur or except or an exceptional cru bourgeois at. Uh, a great, uh, at a great price, you know, between uh, probably uh, thirty-five and uh, uh, fifty uh, uh, Canadian dollar a bottle, and uh, we think that uh, it's uh, honestly a good alternative to the classified gross. 
Is, is it a challenge for Bordeaux to fight the image that's been created by the, the classification system? Like, is, is it a challenge to get younger people to drink Bordeaux, period, let alone Cru Bourgeois, because a lot of people have just decided that they, it's, it's unattainable, it's, it's, it's out of their reach? It's a challenge to be uh, uh, well understood. We change the gener- generation of winemakers first. Secondly, uh, we open the doors of the estates. Third, we are in contact with the market. Just to explain, today uh, 80% of the estates in Bordeaux are uh, distributed by uh, Bordeaux brokers. Uh, for example, for us, we manage directly our own distribution in contact with, an, uh, with all the markets abroad and our domestic market. We are in contact with the public. Uh, we change a little bit uh, the image of the traditional Bordeaux estate. And also we try to propose uh, uh, different different wines. Not only the, the, the grand vin from the estate, La Rose Trentodon, La Rose Pergançon, for example, we're beginning to propose uh, uh, non-added uh, sulfites uh, for one cuvee uh, to, 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 be, to show that we're able to do many, many things, probably more fun for many people, but we need to, to be very open and to be ready, to be, to be agile in terms of uh, quality of the offer and uh, quality of the contact. Well, do you think this big natural wine movement is going to spill over to a more general consumer, or do you think it's just a fad that wine geeks are getting into right now? No, I think it's more general because uh, uh, we, we, we effectively uh, uh, s- s- some people work for the these current uh, wine geeks. Uh, honestly, uh, today. Uh, and due to the volume we produce, because we are we, we produce a large volume with how, how uh, different cases, varieties. How many cases no, do you make? La Rose Pergançon is not due, it's 120,000 bottles a year. Okay. And the second one we are going to taste later, Arnaud, is uh, 55,000 bottles. Okay. But the red label Bordeaux, La Rose Trentodon, is m- more than 1 million bottles a year. Wow. And due to the, to the, the, the volume, we need to be open and to be ready uh, to... To, to promote and to, to present the wine directly to the market. could be through the supermarket for the domestic market or for the on-premise market abroad and uh, meeting uh, all, the, all the, the wine bar or, or restaurants or, or wine shop everywhere uh, to share our passion and to share our vision about wine. So is, and is people per, love that. Is, is Père Grandson, La Rose Père Grandson, something I can get in a grocery store in France? Uh, today, only for the on-premise market, okay. 25, 30,000 dollars a year, and the rest private people, because we have a quite huge uh, number of private people uh, buying the wine directly to the, at the estate. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, 15,000 dollars a year, at least, and a small quantity through the supermarket, but it's very, very, uh, uh, very specific in some uh, place of France uh, close to Paris, for example, or or, or Lyon. Okay, perfect. Um, You're talking about how 
you and, and clearly uh, Le Vignoble, but Laroe recognized the importance of being versatile in the current market. Um, is the idea of climate change something that is, is front of mind for the producers as well? Yeah, uh, we, we integrate in our strategy the changing of climate with two main actions. The first was to try to plant new grape variety to do experiments mm -hmm. and to see uh, how in the future we can use eventually this grape variety. I, I can talk about, for example, Marcelan. We plant uh, 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 half hectare of Marcelan, okay. uh, which is a cross between uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache. Okay. Uh, to to follow what's happened uh, during the growing of the vines and uh, during the vinification. Uh, what, the what, first. Wait, 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 wait. What does it taste like? Uh, it's huge. It's like uh, at this time. It, it, it was my first vinification uh, the last year. Uh, it tastes like uh, tanat, you know, from Madiran. Okay. Great structure. Probably too much now because we need to manage the extraction. Uh, in terms of color, the wine is dark, completely dark. It smells uh, licorice, only licorice. is fantastic. And in terms of acidity, better acidity than the Merlot. It's the reason why if we learn to manage the extraction, it could be interesting in the, in the future, probably, to have 5 or 10% of Barcelona in our final blend. Why not? But the, the, I think the, the purpose is to be sure, to propose always to the consumer a wine affordable and easy to be drunk and not something too tannic with uh, too low acidity uh, uh, with the sensation of uh, only uh, a lot of alcohol. That's fantastic. You know, it's it, because I think when you when you picture old world winemaking, whether it's Italian or French, you imagine regions that are steeped in tradition. And I know that certainly exists in in Bordeaux, but you don't imagine change happening very quickly. So it's exciting to hear that that the wineries of the region are on top of on top of what's coming in the future. Do you think the market will be willing to accept new grapes being used in Bordeaux, or do you think it will be not until they're forced well, to accept it that they will? Uh, well, on the left bank of the river, we are very lucky because we have the Cabernet Sauvignon, and the Cabernet Sauvignon will be definitely the main grape variety of the area. But uh, if we have the possibility to complete the Cabernet Sauvignon with other grape variety, not to stop completely the production of Merlot, but perhaps uh, to, to add uh, 5 or 10% of other grape variety, like it was the case 10 years ago with the Petit Verdot. 10 years ago, I replaced 7 to 10% of the Merlot by Petit Verdot, because I consider that the Petit Verdot, Petit Verdot uh, which was a great answer to the changing of climate, um, but I'm sure it's not the only answer, and we need to find, we need to innovate to be sure that, okay, Bordeaux will be always the area of the Cabernet Sauvignon. But I, I talked about the left bank, but uh, you need to, to find the right uh, detail, you know, to be sure that in the future, the Cabernet will be always great with probably 
some Marcelin, some, Caber some Merlot, but not, not too much. Uh, why not? Perhaps a little, uh, some Syrah? Why not? Syrah. Why not? Why not? Uh, but you know what? That would be... I, I, think, I think it's a thing. If, if there's anything that we've learned from the Niagara wine region is that Syrah, I think, is a lot more versatile than people would give it credit for. And it does handle cool climates uh, no, we well, as well as warm climates. No, but we are lucky because Cabernet Sauvignon will be definitely, uh, uh, for a long time, uh, the main grape variety of the area. And the, the Cabernet Sauvignon has the capacity to resist much more to, uh, than the Merlot to the changing of climate. So, so let's just make sure that we're ending this on a high note because I know we've just spent a lot of time talking about some very serious conversations about the future of the wine industry, but we've got another wine to taste. The next, the, one, the next one is, a, is our Pepit. It's a very small uh, uh, winery uh, close to Margot, Chateau Arnaud. Uh, 17 hectares. Uh, only uh, all vineyard, uh, 45 years old. And uh, one of the main key to, 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 to focus on the quality is the density of plantation. Uh, for Chateau Arnaud, 100% of the vineyard is planted with 10,000 plants per hectare. And with that, it's like uh, all the first classified growth, like Mouton Rothschild, Latour, Lafitte Rothschild, or, uh, or Aubryon, and Margot. 10,000 plants per hectare permit to have a small, only a small quantity of grapes per plant. And with that, uh, the concentration of the grapes uh, is higher. And uh, well, uh, secondly, uh, a huge program on investment during the last uh, 10 years, uh, especially uh, first uh, in the vineyard, Secondly, in the winemaking facilities, we change completely the vinification room with uh, the technology of uh, cool maceration before fermentation. Uh, I, I, I love this uh, uh, way to, to, to work and to vinify. And uh, 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 an optic sorting machine to select the grapes and uh, uh, a fantastic aging in a French oak barrel, but with a sp specificity for Arnaud, all our barrels are made in Burgundy and not uh, close to Bordeaux because uh, the, the, the Burgundy coopers have the capacity to toast the barrel uh, uh, like I want. Okay. Uh, and how longer, do you, and how, longer, okay. longer, uh, the double, the double uh, time than uh, the Bordelais uh, coopers. So you're, so you're saying that the Burgundy very important, yeah, are better very, coopers than the... Sure, okay. sure, sure. And I, I think you're the first winemaker that I've heard um, outside of Niagara. And if you ever get the chance, you have to meet uh, Brian Schmidt of Vineland because he loves his toys. But he bought an optical sorter a few years ago. It's really incredible what this machine does to the quality of the wines, eh? As a sort optic sorting machine. Yes. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, today uh, probably the best technology to be sure uh, that in, finally in the tank you have only pure dark berries and uh, I think the job began with that to be sure that in the tank you have only pure fruit and, and ripe fruit and uh, with the optic sorting machine you can guarantee this first stage and uh, after it's easier to, 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 to manage uh, very well your, your extraction by, for Arnaud we work only by pigeage uh, no, 
no no racking only pure pigeage to be very soft in terms of extraction of the tannins and uh, today chateau arnaud uh, is considering by the other professional people like uh, the, the the new pepit of medoc uh, the, the 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 chateau the estate was just uh, classified exceptional cru bourgeois you know today you have only 14 exceptional cru bourgeois around the world chateau is one of chateau arnaud is one of them and uh, it's a good the good recognition of the of the work of all the team during the last uh, 12 years. Okay, but uh, taking a look at the at the label, like it says Coup Bourgeois on the top, so I know it's that quality, yeah. but it doesn't say exceptionnel. How, no, as, as a consumer, how do I know right. that it's exceptionnel? I just explained uh, uh, before, the classification Coup Bourgeois is recent, okay, okay, just a few weeks ago, okay. and it will be available from the 2018 vintage. Okay. Until the 2022 vintage. So but it will why. say Cru Bourgeois Exceptionnel? Yes. Okay, perfect. Yes. So 18 uh, on the label will have Cru Bourgeois Exceptionnel. Cool. And it, but it's important to say for the people that Arnaud, because the classification, this classification was made uh, with, uh, for, for the, the tasting evaluation with a blind tasting of the five vintages made before. And they tasted, for, for example, for our state. They t- the professional tasters uh, uh, tasted uh, on all ten, uh, ten, sorry, ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, right? And they base their evaluation as a cru bourgeois exceptionnel on these five vintages. And for the consumer, well, we have the they, they have the guarantee that the the, the vintages before the two thousand eighteen are so great, you know, and, uh, and the following vintage uh, the same because absolutely we want to uh, following our investment on the on the brand to be sure to conserve the classification uh, exceptional cru bourgeois for the next uh, cla- cla- classification in five years. And is uh, 2014 an exceptional vintage or a typical vintage? Uh, Personally, uh, I love to say that it's a classic vintage. For, cla- for Bordeaux, to be a classic vintage is good. Why? Because not extreme temperature during the summer, a long ripeness to reach a perfect ripeness for the Cabernet Sauvignon. Many people consider that the 14 is better than the 15 Okay. in our area. How does 14 compare to 10? For, uh, 14 compares to 10? No, the 10 definitely okay. is unbelievable. Uh, it's not it's not so 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 far. It's not so far than the the, 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 the 2010. Uh, probably uh, less minerality and uh, probably uh, not the same quality for the Merlot. And uh, for the 14 Arnaud uh, in the glass, we have, uh, if I remember, 10% Petit Verdot, yes. uh, 27 uh, Merlot, and uh, 63 Cabernet Sauvignon. It's one of the vintage. Okay, hang on, hang on. Ah. I've got the I've got the tech sheet in front of me, and Franck remembered exactly what the assemblage ah. was. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you got the good memory going. Yeah, but it's not always the case. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I I, I, lo- I love the vintage, uh, and uh, I love the the high percentage of Petit Verdot because it's probably one of the only vintage with the same so high percentage of Petit Merlot, uh, Petit Verdot. Sorry. Um, Probably the next one will be the 19 vintage, the, the last year, where the Petit Verdot was exceptional, and probably in the final blend, 
will we will reach uh, 10% of the final blend with the Petit Verdot. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I think the cool thing about tasting the 2014 next to the 2010 is the acid is a little bit sharper, but that's not a bad thing. The thing I love about Bordeaux and the thing I love about about French wines in general and on the podcast, I'm sorry if this is too much of a generalization, but I'm going to stick with that, is a wine like this is much easier to pair with food than the 2010. Like The 2010... I'll be honest, the 2010 is not something I would want a meal with because this is just too perfect to, to pair with food. But 2014, that with just about any, like with that acid backbone is meant to be paired with food. But you know, uh, uh, the 2014, when we, you, you, you want to, to drink a, a bottle of this wine, we, we advise that it's good to decant at least two hours before to drink it. Oh, who has that kind of patience? And. Uh, and secondly, the problem is to 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 keep the to keep the stock because today with the fourteen, we are almost out of stock, because because people want to buy it to keep it uh, a couple of years and to be sure that uh, uh, they can have Chateau Arnaud two thousand fourteen uh, on on their table. That's the the the, the problem. Uh, to be able to propose to the market only matured wine, it's not so easy because uh, you know. Uh, to, to support uh, so much bottle in, in, in our storage, it's a quite a huge uh, cost. Yes. And uh, well, we, we do that with a, a percentage of our production. Uh, every, every year, we keep, uh, at least for the on-premise market, uh, well, 20% of the production. Uh, significant that for Chateau Arnaud uh, 14, we will have for the future more or less uh, 20 uh, not 20, but uh, uh, 10, 10, 15,000 bottles, you know? But it's not a lot. Okay, so, so last question then. Um, when you're looking at buying a Cru Bourgeois a bottle or Chateau Arnaud 2014, I know when you're picturing Bordeaux and you got a little bit of wine knowledge, you imagine wines that you can age and store for a long time, and it's definitely a great way to start a collection if you have the money. How long do you anticipate a wine from a vintage like 2014, which you said is a, a classic vintage. How long would you be able to age that so that it's still... Honestly, t- young? Uh, we, we consider that a great vintage for Arnaud, 30 years. Classic vintage for Arnaud, at least 20 years. Wow. And, and these are... But how, and, how much, and how much does Chateau Arnaud cost? Uh, the Chateau Arnaud costs uh, uh, 60, 65 uh, Canadian dollars on, okay. on the shell. And uh, uh, well, we, we, we said the 20 years, but the challenge every year is to be able to present uh, juicy, affordable wine, even for the great terroir like Arnaud. And uh, we, we, we need to really to, 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 to adapt uh, our picking with very good ripeness and always to be well balanced. It was not possible to taste even now the 14 without a really well-balanced wine, well-balanced uh, and fine tannins on the finish. It will be impossible. Thank you. Thank you, André. So after you went to the lunch, I messaged you yeah. about the wines, and I think I think we were in agreement that the wines were good, but I don't think you were as enthusiastic about them as I was. Um. You, you, we had, we were 
comparing scores, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And um, I, through the course of the lunch and the tasting, I raised my scores because I, you know, I tasted the wines as they opened up, etc. But I never got to the level that you hit. Yeah, and then, how's that? I, I think that's I think that's fair. I was a little bit concerned because originally you said that of all the wines you tasted, there were no four star wines at the table, and I thought most of the wines were four stars pretty much across the board with the 2010 La Rose Pergançon, which will be available in the LCBO in the fall. Uh, I scored four and a half. Uh, the uh, La Rose Pergançon, I finally got that up to four plus. Okay, so we're, so we're not that far off. Yeah, we're not. Uh, my, my favorite of the wines probably was the 14 Arnaud. I thought that was really good. Still four plus, but if I had to rank those two, I, I would go the Arnaud just a little bit higher. I thought it was, it was a lovely wine and, and uh, still gettable. As they say, I, I'm I am uh, actually completely in agreement with you on the 2014. Or no, it's it's approachable now. It's the thing I, I love about about Bordeaux. Even when like, and we're talking about wines now that cost about sixty bucks a bottle. So these are not cheap wines, but they're I guess affordable when we're talking about high quality Bordeaux. Um, yep. But four plus is is great. The tannins are already soft and approachable for a wine that's young. Uh, the 2010 still has a lot of gas in the tank, which is my argument for why it's four and a half. But not to take away from La Rose uh, Trento Don, because uh, that is about a $24 bottle of wine. Uh, label looks great. Um, I got it as $29.50, actually. So $29.50? Okay. Because yeah. a couple of years ago, that wine was uh, $21 at Vintages. And holy crap, when it was $21, that's a steal. $29. That's a steal, yeah. $29, you know what? I'm still going to buy a bottle just because it's not fussy. Like, it's easy to drink. $30 is a lot to spend for kind of, like, casual throwaway wine. But, I mean, yeah, you, you're getting the money out of my wallet. With much less enthusiasm. Yeah, the, with much less the, the enthusiasm Trinton, Trinton than on, the uh, was, was an 11. We, got, we tried a 9 and 11. Yes. Uh, it was nice development in it. Uh, it still had some nice fruit to it. The acidity was good. The tannins were good. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I understand that one's uh, consignment. It was the uh, uh, Perkinson that was, uh, and I love how I'm just uh, anglicizing that name completely. The yep. Perkinson, um, what is coming out in the fall, for sure. I think there are no and the there are no in the LCBO right now. If you can find the bottles of it, well, and, and at uh, Front and Spadina, the LCBO, the Front and Spadina, there's a few other bottles kicking around too. So, I mean, anyways, there's <laughs> there's lots of stuff coming up. So, 2009 Trentendon is coming out on the 22nd of August. The 2010 Peregrine Sun's coming out in October. If we remember, we'll make a mention of it in the podcast, and people can go back and re-listen to this. Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, you know, just a, a quick reminder that uh, you can support us on Patreon. You can look for Two Guys Talking Wine on Patreon. Even if it's $1 or $2 a month, it really goes a long way into helping us make sure that this podcast is free, make sure that Michael and I can afford to keep making content, uh, making sure that we can just keep the equipment running because uh, while it's not terribly expensive, but making sure we've got good microphones and cables is very important to making sure that this podcast sounds as good as we can make it. And we just bought a new cable, so that's that's important. <laughs> yes, that will make it easier for us to do 
better interviews uh, over Skype or over the phone. So if you're listening to this from out of country and you work for a winery or have something to say, you can email us at uh, twoguystalkingwine at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, during these times, uh, please wash your hands, uh, practice uh, social distancing. And, uh, Andre, as I was thinking about it, Purell is about 60% um, uh, alcohol. Okay. So alcohol kills germs. So keep drinking. Okay. I'm, 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 I am not going to disagree with that advice. Uh, yeah. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. Wash your hands. I'm Michael Pinkus of MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. I've said my piece. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.